Okay, well, I'd like to introduce our next speaker. This is Jason Cheney, and he's a PA. Um, he, he serves as the Director of Clinical Investigations of um, Dermatologic Surgery Specialist in Macon, Georgia. He's been a member of the SDAPA since 2001, isn't that great? And the um, GDPA since 2004. After receiving his master's in 1999 from the University of Nebraska School of Medicine in Lincoln, he spent four years as a PA at the Dermatology Clinic in, um, in let's see, in, in, at, at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. He's been working at Dermatologic Surgery Specialist in Macon, Georgia since 2003, and he's also a fellow SDPA. Mr. Cheney has focused on psoriasis and has been a clinical investigator in several phase three and phase four trials studying therapies in psoriasis, rosacea, and acne. He has lectured extensively on psoriasis and has a passion for education and management on the disease. Please help me welcome Jason Cheney. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be up here. I'm actually going to move down here to the floor. I like to move around a little bit. If it's uh, disturbing to anybody, let me know. I'll try and stay out of your way. Uh, so some housekeeping issues before we start. One thing you're going to see, there's a survey that you have. that's up here on the podium for me. There's a pre uh, presentation survey and a post presentation survey if you could go ahead and fill those out uh, and when they're complete pass those to the left please. Uh, also there's going to be a sign-in sheet that's going to be going around if you could fill those out as well and then there's also you've got a booklet there is a package full product information package insert in the back of that if there's something that I don't get to on the slides. So we're here to talk about, I want to thank Senecor very much for providing lunch. We've talked about it before without corporate sponsorship. Uh, a lot of these meetings are very, very expensive to put on, especially the food. Food is a very uh, expensive part. So we want to thank Senecor for supplying lunch for us today. Disclosures, this is in adherence with pharma guidelines. Uh, certainly I don't think there's any spouses or guests in the audience, but if they are, we can't pay for your food. If anyone in here is licensed in a state that is not allowed to be at any of these uh, company corporate sponsored programs, please make yourself known uh, so that we could get it uh, taken care of. And certainly this is a promotional activity that is sponsored by Senecor. Uh, the information is going to be in compliance with the FDA and I am being reimbursed by Senecor to be here. Learning objectives. We're going to discuss psoriasis. And we're going to discuss some scenarios in moderate to severe psoriasis today. We can go to the learning module. This is a really cool slide deck. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this before, but it's a lot more interactive than most of me I've seen anyway. So psoriasis, what is psoriasis? Psoriasis is a chronic immune-mediated disorder. Approximately four and a half to seven and a half million uh, individuals in America are affected. And one quarter of those individuals have moderate to severe disease. Definitely impacts on life, especially on body location, depending on where you see this. Palms and soles can be very severe, certainly in the genital area. We don't have to discuss why that is. But again, depending on body location, it may not qualify as far as body surface area, but it's still severe when you've got it on your hands and feet and certainly in the groin area as you can see with these patients. You know, you're a mechanic trying to use your hands, you know, waitress on your feet, any of us that are on our feet. Treatment of psoriasis. This is an interesting slide. This is a slide that was actually done by the National Psoriasis Foundation back in 1998. If you look in the bottom, the first biologic was approved in 2003, so this kind of predates that a little bit. But it's basically a slide that tells you what, how your patients feel about their psoriasis. 78% of them frustrated, and a third of them feel like it's not aggressive enough. Which, even though this is from that date, I think the data stays kind of the same throughout. Patients are very frustrated. This is a 2006 study done in the U.S., again by NPF, talking about how much time patients spend tending to their psoriasis. 29% at least 30 minutes a day, and 24% an hour a day tending to their psoriasis. That is an incredible amount of time. I can't imagine committing an hour, you know, I'm lucky if I can commit an hour to anything during a day. I, I can't imagine what it must be like to commit an entire hour to trying to take care of my psoriasis. Similar results in a European study as well. They, it's 50% of the time-consuming 
process to take care of their psoriasis. Therapeutic options, we know all of these. This is what we use. This is kind of the bread and butter of what we do. The topicals, nothing new and exciting there. Here's our traditional systemic therapies. Again, nothing new on the horizon there. And then certainly we're in kind of the age of the biologics, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight, certainly, is Stellara. So again, you got to look at this data. This is from 2003, 2005, kind of right when biologics were hitting the market. What do you want to focus on? Well, severe psoriasis, 57% of patients in this time frame with severe psoriasis are only receiving topical therapy. Those patients are definitely being done a disservice. Now, are all of those patients being managed by dermatology offices? Most likely not. I mean, the National Psoriasis Foundation has people who are only seeing their primary care docs and such, so we can't say that it's just dermatologists who have dropped the ball on this. It's just overall as healthcare providers. Stellara, what is it? Now, there's a little animated part, so I'm going to go into this just kind of briefly, and then we'll kind of do this little animation. Uh, it's a monoclonal antibody, binds to P40 subunit on IL-12 and IL-23, inhibits the activity of IL-12 and 23, which prevents those cytokines from attaching to cell surface and stimulating psoriasis. And if you take a look, this is just a cartoon, IL-12, there's P40, P40. So IL-12, what's the, oops, I'm sorry, hit the wrong button. Uh, IL-12, IL-23, these are the, what happens? Well, when IL-12 gets stimulated, uh, causes Th1 cell differentiation, which releases interferon gamma, you get the skin cell hyperproliferation, you do get some uh, TNF-alpha stimulation, IL-23 stimulates cell differentiation of Th17, T helper cell 17, which gives you IL-17, IL-22. Again, downstream, that's pro-inflammatory factors, which are increased inflammation, more skin cell hyperproliferation with your plaques and some TNF-alpha. Uh, don't get too excited about the TNF-alpha. It's not a really strong TNF-alpha agent, even though it does uh, stimulate some of that or block some of that, but it's not a very strong TNF-alpha blocker. All right, so this is a video that we're going to play. This is going to tell you everything you wanted to know about Stellara, and we're afraid to ask. Psoriasis is a chronic inflammatory skin disease. The development of this disease is now believed to result from the activity of T-cells and their secreted products, which leads to excessive keratinocyte production, new blood vessel growth, and dilatation of existing blood vessels. In psoriasis, the T-cells involved are affected by cytokines, small soluble proteins that act as messengers between cells, inducing responses by binding to specific receptors. Studies suggest that abnormal regulation of two cytokines in particular, interleukins 12 and 23, may play a key role in psoriatic inflammation. Both IL-12 and IL-23 are immunoregulatory cytokines, secreted by dendritic cells that help coordinate a cascade of reactions leading to an immune response. IL-12 and IL-23 share a common subunit, P40, IL-12 binds to two chain receptor complexes that are expressed on the surface of T-cells and natural killer, or NK cells. Upon binding to its receptor, IL-12 promotes NK cell activation and drives CD4-positive T-cells towards a T-helper-1, or Th1, phenotype. Th1 and NK cells secrete a characteristic set of pro-inflammatory cytokines, most notably interferon gamma. Interferon gamma has long been thought to contribute to psoriasis pathology. IL-23 also binds to a two-chain receptor complex on the T-cell surface. IL-23 stimulates the activation of T-cells towards a Th17 phenotype. Th17 cells express a characteristic set of cytokines, including IL-17, and are increasingly appreciated as contributors to the hyperproliferation of abnormal skin cells characteristic of psoriasis. 
Because the P40 subunit is shared between IL-12 and IL-23, P40 has been called a master switch and provides a novel therapeutic target in plaque-type psoriasis. Ustekinumab is a fully human monoclonal antibody that binds with high affinity to the P40 subunit found on both IL-12 and IL-23. When ustekinumab binds to IL-12 or IL-23, these interleukins are blocked from receptor interactions that would lead to activation of T cells or NK cells and subsequent events that contribute to psoriatic plaque formation. Through this mechanism of action, ustekinumab is thought to interrupt biologic events that are central to psoriasis pathology. All right, so what's it indicated for? Individuals 18 years and older with moderate to severe psoriasis who are candidates for certainly phototherapy, systemic therapy. Uh, nothing new and profound there. Uh, there are two doses. This is one thing that's very nice about this medication is we've got two doses on the market for it. So you've got that weight-based dosing that you can do. There's a 45 milligram dosage for those that are 100, under 100 kilograms, and then there's a 90 milligram dosage for those that are over 100 kilograms. Now, that last line here, safety and efficacy of Stellara, has not been evaluated beyond two years. There is a new paper that just came out that was presented at the World Congress for out to four years. So some selected safety information. Like I said, we're not going to cover everything. I could click on it and go through all the safety information. Uh, you have it in the back of your books. There's, like I said, there's a full, full PI if you so desire to read all of that. But we're going to highlight some of the important stuff. It is an immunosuppressant, so we've got to worry about infections. Uh, again, a lot of this information is not necessarily new, but it is something just to uh, reiterate. So there have been some infections. There certainly have been malignancies. We have to watch our patients, screen them appropriately before, during, after therapy. Uh, bacterial, fungal, viral infections. Again, there's been a case of uh, reversible posterior leukoencephalopathy syndrome, or RPLS, not to be confused with PML. Uh, which is something totally different. So when we'll talk about what RPLS is. There's another slide that kind of talks to that. Shouldn't be given to patients with an active infection. Again, nothing new. I think most of us that have been doing this for a while. Certainly screen your patients for PPD. I can't imagine that there is anyone who's not doing a PPD prior to initiating therapy. Uh, if you are, uh, you're, getting, you're gonna open yourself up to some trouble, that whole malpracticing we talked about a little earlier. Uh, live vaccines, the two in particular, zoster, flu mist, uh, the pneumococcal, those are things you wanna be careful about, and flu season, flu mist is, is a no-no. Don't let them get that, just a flu shot, though they can certainly get that. Uh, if they do need uh, the immunization, try and get their up-to-date on their immunizations before they actually start on any of the biologics. That's the best way to do it. Uh, talk to their PCM and see if they think there's anything for them and get it done right before you start therapy. Here's the studies, Phoenix 1, Phoenix 2. This is the studies that were sent to the FDA to get the approval. Here's your, you've got three arms. Of course, you always need at least two arms. One, it's got placebo, and then the other, it's got the active drug. So we have Stellara 45, Stellara 90, and then the placebo arm. The injections were done in the active medicine arm. There was an injection done at week zero, week four, which is the, like the dosing is done right now. And then at 12 weeks in this study, so at week 12, which is actually what, the way we do it when we dose in the commercial drug right now, is we would actually do week zero, week four, and week 16 is the way it's really dosed. But for the study, there were, they got, received an injection at week 12. So in the active drug arm, Week zero, week four, active medication, placebo. They receive placebo at those. Inclusion, exclusion criteria. Inclusion, over 18 years of age, had to have psoriasis for greater than six months, must be a candidate for phototherapy. Certainly is with the baseline POSI, BSA. They were, they were excluded if they had been on a biologic in the last uh, three months. If they had previously been on another agent that blocked IL-1223, active TB, any infections, uh, and any known malignancy other than basal cell squamous cell, but it had to be greater than five years. So here's your demographics, pretty much even across the board. You can read this on your own. Uh, it's in your booklets. I don't have to belabor what's on here. It's just showing that in all three arms that the patients were equivalent. 
and baseline data. Uh, I think this is kind of an important slide. It just kind of speaks to the power of this medication. If you take a look at this, uh, again, it's even across all three arms, but what I think is important information to take from this is if you take a look at what individuals across here were on previous therapies, in particular certainly phototherapy, conventional systemics, but look at the number of patients that were previously on biologic therapy at that point in time. Uh, this slide to me speaks to a couple facts. One is uh, these individuals were on previous biologics probably not doing so great. I know from the studies that we do, because we do studies in our office when we were doing some of these uh, medications, studying them, these were patients that had failed everything else, and we were putting them on this medication to try it. So you're looking at a group that was already brittle to therapy because they had failed other, if they were responding, why would we put them on a study drug? It also kind of shows that a good percentage, well over half of them, are biologic naive. So. You know, could it be a first-line therapy? Certainly, it's indicated as a first-line therapy. So what is POSI? POSI doesn't mean a whole lot in the clinical setting. Does anybody in here do POSIs in the clinical setting? I didn't think so. Uh, it's a numerical calculation, very difficult to do, time-consuming. You've got to factor in all these uh, areas and then add it up and divide it, and it's, it's kind of crazy. But it works great in the study environment because you need some kind of calculation. Uh, we use more PGAs, is it no psoriasis, mild, moderate, severe. That's kind of what is used more in a clinical setting. So this just tells you what a, a POSI is in case you're wondering. And then the big example, what is that POSI improvement? When you see POSI, we're going to talk about POSI 50s, 75s, 90s. What does that mean? Well, that means it's just a 90% improvement over what their POSI score was at baseline. So that's where that number comes from. So here you are at week 12. They've only had two doses at this point. So you temper that information you see on here with the fact that these patients have had two shots. That's it, one at week zero, one at week four. Clearly, clearly you can see the placebo did not do much of anything. But in 84, 86, you know, mid-80s, at least 50% in their uh, improvement in their psoriasis of their POSI score. Close to three-quarters had a POSI 75, and 40% in Phoenix 1 and Phoenix 2 a little bit more on the Phoenix 2. Why is that? Probably because there was a little a larger cohort of patients. The more patients you put on a drug, the, you know, you're going to see different result, results, whether it's more or less. Uh, but anyway, this is two shots. You're, m almost everyone has had a response, at least 50% improvement. Close to half, depending on which study you're looking here, is, has a 90% improvement in their psoriasis. That's pretty profound to me. That's a happy patient. And PGA, this is what I was talking about. PGA is what we use in a clinical setting. It's a quick, down and dirty. You can see the results mirror what you saw in the posies. And weight base. This is very important. You know, weight is an issue with psoriasis. Uh, we see our patients with comorbidities. Uh, Dr. Gelfin yesterday talked to us. Uh, I thought it was an excellent lecture about the comorbidities and psoriasis. It's something we all should be starting to focus on. Uh, our patients are unfortunately overweight. So what do you do? You know, I find that the heavier my patients are, the more difficult and the more resistant they are to therapy. So what do you do when you have a fixed dose? It can be difficult sometimes. So clearly you can see there is improvement by using the different dose and you have the flexibility with this medication. And adverse events, this is kind of what everybody wants to know. Sorry, I have to approach this. This is really small up here. Uh, the biggest adverse event that we saw was upper respiratory infections. That was probably the most common thing that was seen across here. Uh, infections, upper respiratory, some serious infections. Uh, again, in placebo as well as the medicated arm. Uh, there was a cancer in a placebo, one cancer that was identified in the Stellar 90 milligram. Non-cutaneous cancers, one in placebo, none in the Stellar, the medication, and then there were two cardiovascular events in the medicated, in the medication arm versus placebo. So then there's the placebo crossover. What happens when we reintroduce the drug? Can, we re can they capture the same results? So this is responses at week 28. Everybody is receiving medication at this point in time. So this is what your results that you're seeing at this point. Everybody's on the kind of standard dose. So again, much higher results because a lot of these guys have been on, more medi uh, on medication longer. Close to 96, you know, almost everyone's at least had a POSI 50. 
some improvement. Well over three quarters is, has at least had a POSI 75. And then again, 50% are POSI 90, which is virtually clear. And POSI 75 again, here we go, weight-based, showing that, the, that this, there is an issue with weight. You can see the 90 milligram dosage. Certainly, you see better results with the heavier patients with the 90 milligram versus the 45, hence the two doses. So this is out to week 40. More information about the study design. This is a graph just showing how you capture it. Here's a placebo, placebo crossover. They meet at around week 20 and then carry forward. And then this is, of course, the FDA wants one of these too. What happens when you withdraw the drug? You know, what, what's going to happen when we stop this drug? Because patients are going to take drug holidays for whatever reason. Uh, they decide not to come into the office for their shot. Uh, they get sick. Uh, they develop a malignancy. Whatever it is, for whatever reason, they move out of the area. They can't afford a medication. So what happens when we stop the drug? Do they have some horrendous flare that they can't deal with or what? So we need to see what happens, and then we retreat. And this information you can see as you go out, Throughout the weeks, those that have been put on placebo, they lose their efficacy, and those that stay on drug maintain the results going forward. And again, this is more just adverse events. If you look on here, going out, upper respiratory infection, most common adverse event that we see. A couple of cutaneous cancers were identified through weeks 40 and 76 one non-cutaneous in the placebo, and no cardiovascular events occurred going out to week 76. This slide is basically just verbalizing everything we talked about. Again, the slide is in the book. If you want to read it, you can read it. We're all intelligent. I'm not going to read the whole thing necessarily, unless someone would really like me to do that. And this is going out to week 100. Individuals are staying on medication. 80% have at least a POSI 75 continuing forward, and everyone, almost 97% is pretty close to, pretty close to everyone is still maintaining at least a 50% improvement of their psoriasis going out two years. Again, some safety information from the trials, which we talked about. Upper respiratory infection, the most common. There were some adverse reactions. A serious infection of malignancy was reported. A case of RPLS. No active TB was reported, and there was really very low injection site reactions, and that's most likely due to the fact that it's infrequent dosing, so you're not constantly uh, exposing the skin to that large protein. Here's some important safety information. Infections. Again, your patients, anytime you put them on any kind of immunosuppressive, they are going to be at risk for developing an infection. Uh, serious bacterial, fungal, viral reported. Uh, there were some that required hospitalization. It was cellulitis, diverticulitis, osteomyelitis, gastroenteritis, pneumonia, UTIs. Uh, you should not give the medication to anybody who has an infection. I think everyone in here, I would hope, again, knows that. And anyone, you know, exercise caution if you have a patient that has an infection. I think if your patient has an infection, you're thinking about doing Stellar, your supervising physician needs to be making that decision. Um, Again, going back to the whole malpractice thing. Don't make those decisions. We don't work in a vacuum. Here's the theoretical risk. What do you do about theoretical risk? I don't know. They're theoretical. Uh, individuals who are deficient in IL-12 and IL-23 have a potential for developing some infections. In particular, Mycobacterium, Salmonella, Bacillus, uh, the, I'm sorry, the BCG vaccine, uh, are, they're vulnerable to getting infections from that. There has been some serious infections, fatal outcomes in these patients. What does that mean in individuals that are receiving IL-12 and 23? I really don't know necessarily because fortunately we're not blocking all of IL-12 and 23. These patients have no ability to utilize IL-12 or 23. TB, screen them. If they've got TB, get them treated, send them to public health. Malignancies. It's an immunosuppressant. Certainly, anytime you suppress the immune system, there's a risk of malignancy. Screen your patients for malignancy. Uh, if they have a history of malignancy, again, I know how it is in my practice. I, if I've got someone who has a malignancy, I do not. I mean, I prescribe the medication, but I clear it with my supervising physician. And I would imagine everyone in here is probably doing it. If you're not, 
uh, I think you're asking for trouble. Uh, when you get these complicated cases like this, the physicians really need to be on board with it. And some angioedema, some hypersensitivity reactions. Watch your patients after the first couple shots just to make sure you might want to have them hang out for five, ten minutes after you do the first two shots, the week zero, week four. Just make sure they don't get anaphylactic on you. And then here's RPLS. It's a neurologic disorder. Uh, it's not caused by an infection, which is what PML is. Uh, it, you know, headache, seizure, confusion, visual disturbances. They've had some fatal outcomes, not with this medication on RPLS, but with RPLS itself as a disease process. So basically your patient comes in the office and they're dragging their leg behind them. You probably want to withhold their Stellara injection until you figure out why they're dragging their leg. And we talked about the immunizations. If you're going to give them a live vaccine, it's probably best to get them, just get that done before they're going to initiate therapy. Uh, if you're not sure, you know, call public health, talk to the PCM. And concomitant therapy, Stellar at this point has not been evaluated utilizing any other modality of treatment. So it is considered monotherapy. Um, if you so choose to combine it with other therapies, that's uh, something that's off-label. And here, and one more theoretical risk, immunotherapy, you may not get the immune response that you're looking for if they're on immunosuppressive. So immunotherapy, talk to their allergist. And again, anaphylaxis, watch for that. Most common side effect, upper respiratory. So this kind of goes into our roles with the medication. Uh, some of this stuff I'm going to go through pretty quickly. I think we know what our roles are. Uh, this is kind of geared to certainly a, a crowd that has not only uh, physician assistants, but nurses and nurse practitioners and such. You know, we review the history, we discuss the disease state, we educate our patients. That's what we do. Discuss the treatment with the patient, go over what's going to be involved, the prior approval, uh, maybe put them in touch with one of the Access One or whatever it is that we need to do to get them on the medication. And kind of give them an idea of what, what's going to happen. You're going to come in once every three months. It's going to start out, you know, you're going to get two shots, four weeks apart, and then every three months thereafter. So this is the administration. We talked about this slide already. There's, there's, uh, about it's 18 years and older, the two doses. So again, it's available two sizes. It should only be administered by a healthcare provider. And they need to be monitored. This is one of the things that I think is great about this medication is that this is controlled. We have control of our psoriasis patients with this medication. They have to come in the office to get their injection. They're not doing it at home. Uh, if they come in and say, my psoriasis isn't doing any better, you can look at the chart and say, well, you haven't been in in six months. You missed your last three-month shot. Of course you're not doing better. You know, when they're on medication that they're doing at home, whether it's creams or pills or, you know, other medications, biologics and such, we don't know what they're doing. And the reality is they're messing with their doses all the time. With this medication, they can't. Either they show up and they get the medicine or they don't, and we know exactly what's going on. Dosing regimen, we discussed that already. Week zero, week four, then every three months thereafter, two doses. You know, a lot less frequent dosing. We talked about this, administration considerations, and that is just talking to them, get, get them give them a heads up what to expect, put them in touch with Access One. This kind of tells you the areas to give it. It's, you know, thighs, abdomen. You want to inject it at about a 45 to 90 degree angle. If you look at it, when you look at it in the vial, it should be colorless. If it looks like it has any particulate matter or it's uh, yellowish in color or something, a dark yellow color, uh, it's, you need to get that medication checked out. It should be light yellow and maybe some white particles, but not anything like dark particulate matter or anything. If it doesn't look right, don't give them the shot. That's what the shot looks like. Show of hands, how many individuals in here are prescribing Stellara right now or have used Stellara? Okay, all right, good. Uh, this is what the shot looks like. It has a little safety capsule on here. After you inject it, it sucks that needle right back up inside there. 
So you got to be careful when you do this because if you misfire this thing, it sucks that needle right back up inside. And then you've got to try and figure out how to get that needle back out of there. And I've heard some crazy stories from some individuals who have gone through some heroic things to get the medication out of there. So again, this is what you pull the plunger off, inject at 45 to 90 degree angle. Again, you can look at that stuff in the booklet and tells you how to inject it if you're not sure. And then keep it in the refrigerator, don't freeze it, don't shake it. And it does not contain a preservative. So once you do the shot, it's done, throw it away. There's no unused part of it. You don't inject half of it and say, listen, I'll give you another half in a few weeks or do anything like that. It's done. Once it's injected, it's injected. Solaris support, this is Access One. If you're not utilizing this, make sure you are for your patients because this is where they get their benefits from. Uh, they actually can get aid if they can't afford their medication. There's some insurance issues and so on and so forth. And certainly there's a lot of support. You should, if you don't, make sure you talk to your rep about getting some of these booklets. I use these booklets a lot in my office, uh, not only for p individuals that I'm going to start on Solar, I use it just for my psoriasis patient. I think it's a great educational tool. Um, it's certainly a great launch pad to discuss psoriasis and send them home with so they can kind of get an idea. Stellar support, again, there's an online. Uh, they're the ones who are going to do all the legwork for you for prior approval. They've gotten very, very good at it. I know early on a lot of people had some heartburn uh, when the medication came out, but I promise you it's been streamlined now. They work very well. So summary, again, this it's indicated for psoriasis in 18 and over. It's administered four times a year. The POSI 75 response, seven out of 10 individuals will get a POSI 75 after only 12 weeks, which is just two doses and POSI 90 and 4 out of 10 at week 12. All right, so this kind of goes into a case study, which uh, I'm hoping we can get some involvement from the crowd. So here's Ted. Who is Ted? Well, Ted's 44 years old, six foot, 190 pounds. He's had psoriasis for the last four years, 10% 10, 10 BSA. He drives for, who knows, UPS, um, you know, FedEx, somebody like that. He's had a few sick days because when his plaques are visible, he's embarrassed by it. So you, that's what you see as far as psoriasis. Kind of dark and you can't really appreciate that he's got psoriasis going on. What's he been given? Topicals, some systemics. They've given him some improvement, but not enough. He's still complaining about his symptoms. Now, it doesn't give us any kind of real duration of how long he's been doing any of these medications, but... So, as Ted's physician assistant, anybody want to be brave enough and tell me what you might think about as a next step? I don't want to pick on anybody. There's a couple individuals I know about for sure that I won't pick on, but... Anybody? Everybody sleeping after lunch? All those carbs? Nobody wants to be brave enough to talk about what they're going to do. Nobody's going to do anything? There we go. We have a young lady in the back. This is a non-attribution environment. No matter what you say, you're not wrong. Um, get the woo. patient's medical history, find out if, if they uh, recently had a PPD, uh, history of uh, any hepatitis, and their medical history at this point. Right. Good. See what else they've been on. Okay. Think about some, what therapies you want to do. So, this, like I said, some of these questions are, again, it's, it's opened up for kind of a, a nursing crowd as well, so they may not be appropriate. You know, you may read these and be like, well, I, I'm decided to start it. What do you mean the physician started? So, physician, you've decided to start TED on a biologic. How would you help? You're not really going to necessarily help manage the patient. Uh, you're going to manage the patient. So that question, I don't know if we can answer that a whole lot. So, would you approach Ted differently if he's already been on a biologic? 
I'm, I'm helping you out here, Jason. Thank I'm just, you, bro. I'm just backing you up, buddy. Um, you know, I, I think if they've been on a biologic and you can honestly clinically say they're failures, it, it's, I think it's completely fair to look at another systemic treatment. Um, but I always tend to start from ground zero, um, as was said, and you just look at their medical history. My approach is to make sure that I don't miss anything. Are they screened for tuberculosis? Are they screened for hepatitis? Are they screened for HIV? That's just what we do in our office, mm -hmm. uh, and also for coxie because we're in the desert. Um, <clears throat> Just start from ground zero and um, maybe move towards. Um, let's let's say they, you know, for all intents and purposes, when we say fail biologics at this point, I think we're looking at almost exclusively TNF inhibitors. Um, Amaviv's there, but um, you know, I, I don't think I would go to Amaviv if they fail a TNF inhibitor. If now that Stellaris here, and I think that it would be a reasonable choice, but so would you know, moving quote unquote back, backwards, um, maybe looking at methotrexate again, if it hasn't been tried, uh, I think would be a fair thing to look at as well. Um, but I think in the case, particularly of failing a TNF inhibitor would be a, a fair shot to uh, look at a uh, IL-12 inhibitor. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Think about maybe adding something to a therapy that's already existing maybe making combo therapy or something along that. But again, you're right, you can't answer because it's not an easy answer, because what if he's had a malignancy or he's got something else potentially that would change your reasoning for doing any kind of medication? Maybe he's got high triglycerides. We don't really have anything about his medical health. It's kind of a generic question. So I, I would agree with what Rob has to say. I mean, it's not an easy answer. It's just, I mean, maybe a little less fearful to just keep going with the biologics. He's already been on one. And what are the administration considerations for Stellara? I think we discussed this. I'm going to kind of just answer this question. I mean, this, what do I feel about Stellara and the administration considerations? I like the fact that we administer it in the office. Like I said, I like that I have control of my psoriasis patients. Uh, they, you know, again, patients do what they want to do. They just do with the, the dose that they have at home. And we don't know if they're really giving themselves the medication or not. Again, this way, it's back in our hands. So he, on his visits, week 16, we, you know, decided to put him on Stellara, certainly, since that's who's uh, we're talking about this evening, or this afternoon. And after his medication, this is what he has. I mean, he has, he's had improvement. He is 75% posi improvement at week 16. At week 28, it's continuing out. He's clear or minimal according to his PGA. And he has continued improvement. I think there's a slide that kind of shows. I don't know if you can appreciate that in the back of the room. Like I said, it's kind of dark, but to go from here, you can kind of see it's kind of red and hazy to this is normal skin. This guy's ecstatic. So Stellara, first anti-IL-12, approved by the FDA for adults with moderate psoriasis. Again, this is just reiteration of the other slide that we talked about. 7 out of 10 are going to get a posi 75, 4 out of 10 are going to get a posi 90. Impressive results at week 12. So again, after just two shots. Okay, all right, let's go into, if you can click on Tom, this is the last one and then I'll leave everybody alone. So Tom, 47-year-old male, six foot, 280 pounds. He's had psoriasis for the last uh, 12 years. He's got 20% BSA. He's got some trunk and buttock involvement and he's an accountant, so you know he loves data. He's going to come in and have researched everything. He's going to know more about Stellara than we probably will ever know about it because he's read everything and gone on the chats. And so he's oral systemics, UV, not real, worked real well. Again, he's researched the biologics on the market. He's very concerned about safety issues. His wife's kind of pushing him to come in and talk to you about his psoriasis. She wants him to have something better. He wants to have something better. So here's the same question. So you've got Tom in your office now. What's your next step? Anybody? Your crickets in the background. From down south, it was cicadas. Did you guys have cicadas up here? Did you have the cicadas come out? I didn't know how far north those things came. They were crazy. 
Um, so same thing. I'd, I'd gather a health history, you know, a history of cancers, um, work him up if I'm thinking biologic, which in this patient I probably would, um, because he is um, pretty uh, concerned about safety. I mm -hmm. probably wouldn't start him straight on Stellara. Um, I'd probably try a TNF just because you can give that accountant all kinds of numbers about the length of time it's been out and a little bit more statistical data. Um, but anyway, assuming everything was clear on his workup, you know, TB test negative, hepatitis, that whole ball of wax, then I probably would go with Embrel in this patient. Yeah. yeah, and it looks like he's been on some oral systemics. It doesn't tell us which ones, so I mean, probably methotrexate or something like that. So, I mean, could you potentially say, you know, methotrexates has, definitely has some safety issues, so it could be a launch pad to kind of express to him. So, do we consider Tom an appropriate candidate for Stellara? Yes? You have some reservations about the well, safety on it, or? Well, yeah, I mean, I think everybody does in a way because the data just isn't there yet. I mean, hopefully it will be good, but. Because it's a newer agent? Okay. All right, so you would, in this case, potentially consider a different biologic first, and then, okay. Okay. That's fair. Like I said, non attribution environment, there's no wrong answer here. Anyone else? Yes. I may start as uh, having, I guess, using Humira as the first um, biologic. The Embrel, I'm just afraid because he's 280 pounds. Um, he might do well initially, but then the insurance companies are going to make you drop down to the one injection once a week. So if you failed Humira, then maybe you would then the next choice would be Stolara. But Embrel, I think he's just the 280 pounds. He's too heavy he's to guy. maybe succeed. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, which, again, yeah, you start to think about weight-based dosing because you're right, he is a larger individual, so he's going to be a little more brittle. Anybody else have anything to contribute to that? No? All right, so this is a good question. How do you weigh potential risks against the potential benefits of the biologic treatments? And now how do you share this information with Tom? So we all have these patients who are, you know, we know it's the medication's probably the best choice for them, but have reservations about the medication. So how do you handle that? Anybody like to volunteer and say what you do in your office when you've got? Well, typically, um, I'd ask them what their initial concerns were um, so that you can address those first, and then, just talk to them about the data, go over the, uh, the potential risks. And with the biologics, particularly when they have concerns about malignancy, uh, I also like to talk about the increased risk of simply having the condition, uh, whether or not they take the medication or not. Um, and that, you know, there are uh, screening precautions that I'd want them to have, whether or not they decide to take the medicine. And then if, they're, if they come in like, this gentleman where he's already worried about it after we talk about it, then I like to send him home with um, information from the company in regards to the medicine and tell him to read it over, talk with their family, and call back and let us know so that you're not pushing a decision on them right then and they have a time to read it over and think about it. That's great. That's great. Anybody have any great pearls, how you get over this, individuals who have a reservation about the medication, you think it's the best thing for them? Daniel. Um, usually when I have a patient, they'll come in and I get a lot of referrals from, you know, we have a lot of HMO populations. So 
most of the time the doctors have tried everything they can topically um, and also probably sent them to somewhere where they can have like the UV therapy and things like that and it's not working. So usually I get those end stage and like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what to do. So by that time, I do start to go in because if I'm just talking about certain concerns that they have, I go ahead and I give my spiel and then you know, I give them the information to go home with because I can spend a half an hour to an hour just explaining or going against you know, trying to get them where I want them to be. But sometimes they talk it over with their wife and I've already done all this work and all of a sudden it's not gonna happen. So what I do is, okay, I ask them the screening questions. I'll actually give them the script for the blood work and also for the PPD placement. And then um, I'll give them the information. I'm gonna give them the topicals that we have that their primary cares don't have. Mm -hmm. Tell them to try it in the meantime. Give them the patient information. I tell them to come back in a month and tell me what they wanna do. The other thing is, I also give them a choice. They know they want to be on a biologic. I said, do you want to inject yourself twice a week, once a week, once every other week, or do you want me to inject you every three months? So, and sometimes they can go from one spectrum to another. Mm -hmm. That's great. So you let them get a lot more involved with decision making, which is great. Because this is, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, this is a lifetime condition. So it's, it's you know, I try and explain to my patients that it's kind of like a, you know, any relationship that we're, you're going to have in your life. This is a long-term one. We're going to have good, good days and we're going to have bad days. Um, but I'm going to walk this journey with you. Um, so, but you're right. You know, you got to let them be involved in decision-making. Because ultimately, you're right. There is nothing worse than, like, doing that with an Accutane patient. Going through everything, spending all that time. giving the prescription, you get the call back. Mom wasn't in the office and she just, she's nixing it. Yes. That is frustrating. So, how would you characterize the safety profile of Stellara? Anyone? Thank you, Rob. Just send the 20 bucks to my uh I will. Swiss bank account. Do you ever see the Italian uh, job? I, yeah. Okay. So Don't if say I call it. you I handsome job, is okay. that all right? Yeah. Okay. I, I knew you were going with that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Anytime. You know, Jason, in all honesty, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, I've said this before to you that um, I think as far as safety on Stellara, I can, you can give it an eye for incomplete. You know, I, if by FDA standards and by clinical standards, we have pretty reliable, well-designed phase three studies on safety. but. We all know that time is what's gonna really burn things out. Um, we saw it, uh, we have a perfect example with um, Reptiva. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the thought leaders, for instance, um, in psoriasis, uh, published a paper on how safe Reptiva was, and a month later was the first case of PML. So, you know, time will burn these things out. I, I can think, I, you know, my, my sentiment on it is that um, it looks good. Uh, the efficacy looks good. Certainly the convenience of dosing looks good. The mechanism is intriguing. It's probably gonna open up a whole nother realm of therapies, not only for psoriasis, but other inflammatory diseases. Um, but I think the jury's out. I, you know, I think at this point in my own, for my own practice, I'm careful with patient selection. Um, they have to be relatively healthy. Um, and um, I think probably failed at least one other systemic therapy, uh, whether it's a biologic or methotrexate or whatever. Um, and I think that's fair uh, right now for me. That makes me comfortable because uh, I know that I've got a specific paradigm I'm following so that I can say that if something, if there is potentially some bad outcome, I can say, well, I followed a specific paradigm of safety, in, at least in my own mind, not, a, not an official one, but at least one that I created on my own. Right. Um, but, you know, I, there's nothing in the, in the trials or in real world at this point to, to show that it is uh, unsafe, I guess I can say in fairness. Right, you're just handling it with some trepidation because of previous biologics. Yeah, I, I think I most of us that have been doing it for a while, yeah, you're, you're right, because that was uh, to kind of take that segue that you had about, uh, unfortunately, with uh, Genentech Progerativa. Yeah. That was their tagline for the longest time. Right. Where the safest drug, safest drug, safest drug, and then lo and behold, they pull it six months later. So that's fair. That's fair. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, right now, 
I mean, really, if you look at it, it's got the cleanest safety profile, but what does that mean over time? I guess we'll see. You had a question? I'm just curious, as people start biologics, who's using it as their first line in the getting piece of the first line, or are more people similar to your line of practice? Right now, I'm following his model, but I'm just right. wondering if, if there are people that are so comfortable that are using it. Well, that's, that's, a good, that's an interesting question. I don't have, know if I have the exact answer. I can only answer what I'm doing because I don't really know what everyone else. But, I mean, when you're out in the trenches, a lot of individuals, I mean, kind of feel the same way that maybe it's not a first-line therapy, even though it is indicated for first-line. Uh, initially, I would say when I first started prescribing it, uh, it was second, third-line. But with having as many patients as we have in our practice on Stellar now, uh, yeah, it's become a first-line drug. Not in everybody. Uh, again, it's just like any medication that you use out there. The more we have, you find more appropriate patients for it. Uh, so I would say, yes, I feel more comfortable prescribing it as a first-line therapy now that I've gotten comfortable and I've had enough patients on it. When it first came out and I had you know, only four or five, didn't know what to expect. No, definitely. But then you dabble with one person and then as first line, then two, and then three, and then you just get more comfortable as you do with any of it. So it is, yes, slowly there are individuals out there that are slowly moving towards using it as first line therapy, not waiting till they fail another biologic, necessarily. I don't know if that really answers the question. Well, it just seems that in addition to people using it for their failure biologic cases, I mean, the other side of the, the flip side of that is that this drug is getting the most difficult cases and they're being treated successfully with that. I was just wondering if people were using it more as a first line agent, surpassing Humira, Embrel, and all of those. Yeah. I think it's going to, over time, that will be more individuals. So, right with, now, with most time individuals, data, right, yeah. right, right, most individuals are probably, again, that's not anything that Senecor is, there's no study to prove that. It's just more anecdotal, that answer that I have for you. So I don't have a direct answer for that. But you do bring up a great point that we are using it in the toughest patients, and they're getting phenomenal results. So as time goes on and everyone feels more comfortable with it, I, I can only imagine what it's going to do on our biologic naive patients, the results that we're going to see. So summary, this is, again, same summary slide we've seen before. I'm not going to read it again. Uh, it's just, it's for psoriasis. And that brings up the conclusion of the slide deck. Anybody have any questions or? Yes, ma'am. Um, I had a question regarding psoriatic arthritis and what you've seen for your patients. I just had a patient come back for their second injection last week who had previously been on Embril their psoriatic arthritis was significantly worse. She said, I remember it just kind of being in my knee, but now it's my knee, my hip, my finger. I'm having trouble even sleeping. Um, and just your experience with that. You're, you're talking, you switched from over to Stellara? Yes. And now that the, they're off of the TNF agent, their psoriatic arthritis is flaring. Correct. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not as good of a psoriatic arthritis medication necessarily. Uh, there, is, there are trials ongoing right now. So that is potentially, again, and this is my own experience, not necessarily Senecor's feeling on this, uh, but I don't know how great of a psoriatic arthritis agent it's going to be. I'm interested to see what the data shows. But again, in my experience, it's been similar to yours. Uh, I think the TNF agents are probably the best choice for psoriatic arthritis patients. And now, so then the question is, what do I do? Because they weren't responding to their TNF agent and they were responding to Stellar and their joints hurt, right? So, um, I mean, you can think about a non-steroidal. Stick them on some Celebrex or something like that, give them some Motrin to take and see how that does, uh, which is what I have done, again, personally. I've stuck a few of them on just a non-steroidal and that seems to help them out because they do get some benefit with their joints. It's just not as good of a benefit as you see with the, the straight up TNF agents. So you could try that and see. That's, that's kind of what I've done, okay. Any other questions? Yeah, um, 
we prescribed Stelera and um, oh, yes. and um, we had one patient, I didn't know if anybody else had this experience, where after I think it was a second injection, he got it in the right arm, and then he had transient uh, wrist pain with edema, erythema, um, significantly decreased range of motion in that wrist, but it probably resolved in about a week. The next injection was in the left arm, had the same transient symptoms in the left hand, and then um, after the third injection, he um, had really significant swelling in his ankle with edema, couldn't walk on it, but it was also transient too, just for like two weeks after the injections. Have you seen that at all? I haven't, but my guess is a hypersensitivity reaction of some sort. Uh, they're just having uh, an allergic reaction, you know, just like anything. That's, that sounds like what's going on there. What you do about that, I don't know. Yeah, we pulled him out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you, your concern is, is that going to progress? So, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. You're just getting an immune response, unfortunately, to maybe not the medication, but something that's in it. Yeah. Can you speak as to how you um, sort of rationalize or just feel more comfortable with the idea that when, if I have a patient on Enbrel or Humira and they um, have an upper respiratory infection or they have an infection with a high fever that is hard to resolve, I take a little comfort in the fact that I can take them, I can take them off the medication. Um, you know, with a drug that has such a long half-life, how, how do you, how, how does that make you feel? How do you, how, that's my, my concern, and I, I find that a lot of people who are holdouts and aren't writing Stellara, that tends to be the consensus as far as what our concern is. That their immune system is suppressed. You're saying that the half-life yeah, is Yeah, that, that you really than... can't take them off the medication. If they have an adverse event, you just have to wait it out. Well, the medication doesn't last in the system for three months. So even though they're getting the shot, the half-life is... I'm, I'm thinking somewhere around 12 to 15 days. So the medication is a little bit longer than some of the other biologics on the market. Again, this is, again, my view on that. I don't get too worried about it because the medication is not staying on board long term. But even with the other medications, I mean, I guess you could skip a dose and then reinitiate. But the medication, again, if you look at the real half-life compared to the others, it's not that much longer. It just knocks it into a remission for some reason. So I, I, I kind of take comfort in that because they're not constantly being exposed to the medication. They're getting one shot, lasts for a couple of weeks, and then it's starting to clear the system already where I don't have to keep reinitiating therapy with it. So they're actually able, in my mind, again, this is my view on it, is to recover from upper respiratory infections and such a little easier, a little easier to manage it. You don't have to worry about holding doses and such. Have you had any experience with um, bumping up the dose as far as frequency goes? I'm having patients that will start breaking through at like week eight or so, they're ready for another dose, but theoretically they're not due for another month. Yeah. So I know in the Phoenix 2 trials there are some data, I think, on, on that, but can you speak on that, what your clinical experience is there? Oh, okay. Um, well, my own experience on that is what's their weight, for starters. Are they on a 45 or 90 milligram dosage? So if, you can, if they're on a 45, potentially getting them up to the 90 somehow. And I'm not advocating any way to do that. Yeah. You've got to figure that one out on your own. So try, try and go up to the higher dosage. Trying to get it approved for an earlier dosage, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to do that. Uh, just because uh, you know, the FDA, is just, it's indicated for every three months. Right. You're thinking that the dose change seems to be where it's at, more so than the interval change. Yes, because I can't get it approved. I can occasionally get the insurance company to send me the dose a week or two before they're actually due. So sometimes I can get that. Um, they'll just ship it to me earlier because they, I guess, feel it's just went well enough within the time frame. So, I mean, that's certainly an option if you can just get it shipped to you sooner. Or just consider bumping the dose up. Because if you can work. Yeah, I just think it, you need to bump the dose up a little bit properly. They're probably close to that 100 kilogram. So, again. Um, I have a question. Thanks for your presentation. Um, 
If you do have to come off for some reason, be it a surgery or need to take a drug holiday or something, do you see maintained efficacy if they go back on, or is it kind of diminishing returns over time, or what, um, have you had any experience with that yet? Yes, and that was in the slides, that's kind of where that placebo, that take them off the drug, put them back on the drug, do you regain the efficacy? So yes, there is data to show that they will regain their efficacy when you take them off if they have for some reason. But it's a slow return. So it's, it's months. The data that was on there, I mean, you, you've, you get weeks. So even if they have to take, be off the drug, skip a dose for six weeks or something, you give it back, and yes, and they regain their efficacy once they get back on medication. You bet. Yes? This is the medication given in the office. Are, is your office purchasing it and then the patient's paying for it, or is it through a specialty pharmacy just being shipped to you through the patient's program? Yes, ma'am. Okay. We do it all through the insurance company. We don't buy and bill in our office. I'm not saying you can't do that, but all right. I'm getting the call. I've got to wrap it up. Okay. Is it a quick question? Just go right back to where you left off. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Once they've done those two, they don't ever need to do that again. No, nope. you just start them right back once every three months. All righty, if everybody can do that post presentation survey and just pass that to the left, and I think that's it. Thank you very much.